This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB.com StackCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers. We have so many things to talk about today. Uh, James Paxton threw a no-hitter last night. Didi Gregorius is suddenly one of the best power hitters in baseball. Uh, you know that Matt Carpenter has actually had a terrible season, but let's dig into why that is. I'm going to make an argument for why baseball's best reliever is not Josh Hader or Adam Adovino, which I'm sure is going to be extremely popular. Uh, we have to talk about the Rockies, who are somehow crushing the ball on the road. And then we're going to talk about why getting to 3,000 hits is totally bogus. That's our show uh, for today. First, Matt, last week you put out a plea for our international listeners to uh, speak up. Yeah, I noticed that uh, we were uh, our podcast statistics were telling us that folks were listening in such uh, far-flung locales as uh, Japan and Germany and Australia. So we asked uh, some listeners from all over the world to kind of let us know how they, uh, they found us. And we heard from a few people. We did. We heard from uh, Anton from the Philippines. We heard from Jackie from Taiwan. We heard from Renz from Australia. And then not international, we heard from Josh, who is a Braves fan, who quite correctly uh, gave me a hard time for mispronouncing Braves rookie Mike Soroka. I will say that's because in the early 2000s, the White Sox had Mike Soroka. So uh, there's that. But anyway, he even recorded himself. He did. The video video was fantastic. uh, Thank you, Josh. Pronouncing it uh, accurately. So we're going to get to James Paxton in a second. But first, I want to start by talking about Didi Gregorius. Uh, have you noticed that Didi Gregorius is smashing baseballs? Uh, yes, I have noticed that he's smashing baseballs. He's hitting 301, a 388 on base, a 642 slug, 10 home runs. He is fifth in major leagues in slugging percentage. He is tied for seventh in home runs. And it's actually a lot more interesting than you'd think. I think when you think about why does a guy like Didi Gregorius start smashing the ball, first you have to remember this isn't totally out of nowhere. He hit 45 home runs the last two years. Uh, but why? You'd think two things. You would think, well, he plays in Yankee Stadium. There's some truth to that. We'll get to that in a second. But you'd also think maybe he's crushing the ball. And I, I find this a really interesting way to look at a hitter. Didi Gregorius is not actually hitting the ball that much harder if you look at average exit velocity. Over the last four years, the four years of StatCast, which is brought to you by Amazon Web Services, in 2015, he had an 84.8 mile an hour exit velocity, then 85.1. This, this, this average. Average, yeah. Then 84.4. This year, it's up to 86.1. It's all basically in the same range. The major league average this year is 88.3 miles an hour. He has a below average exit velocity, and yet he's smashing baseballs. If you look at his hard hit rate, we define hard hit as being balls hit with an exit velocity of 95 miles an hour or more. It is up almost double. The last couple years, it was in the 24%, 25%. Last year, it was 21%. This year, 38% of his batted balls are are hard hit baseballs, slightly above the major league average of 37%. That's weird, right? How could you have an average exit velocity that doesn't move and a hard hit rate that almost doubles. And by the way, that, that hard hit rate doubling, that, that jump, it is the sixth largest of 237 qualified hitters over the last two years. Uh, Eugenio Suarez, Juan Moncada, Kevin Pillar somehow is crushing baseballs. He's having, he's having We're going to have to get back to that on another show. Teoscar Hernandez and Mitch Haniger, two guys we already talked about on this show. Um, Matt, how is it possible to have an average exit velocity that doesn't move and have your hard hit rate skyrocket? Well, what happens is that, as we've learned over the years, is that 
above and below a certain threshold, exit velocity almost doesn't matter. Like hitting the ball 70 miles an hour isn't really any different than hitting it 80 miles an hour. So what we're seeing, right, is with the Gregorius, is he's, he's hitting them more on the high end, but then like it, it's, he's hitting a lot, ball, like, a lot more balls like 70 miles an hour. But well, it doesn't matter because they're about as productive as better balls around 85 miles an hour. Exactly right. This works a little better with a visual that you'd be able to see. I'm going to write about this for Yankees.com. Uh, but at, even though his average exit velocity is the same, he's basically become all or nothing. Right? As we said, his hard hit rate has doubled, but he's also hitting a lot more really weak baseballs. The middle has basically disappeared, and I, I can explain that this way. Last year, uh, if you look at the, the batted balls hit between 80 miles an hour and 90 miles an hour of exit velocity, so like kind of like right in the middle there, 36% of his batted balls were in the 80 to 90% uh, mile an hour range. This year, that's down to 22% of his batted balls. His rate of balls hit with an exit velocity under 70 miles an hour. Last year, it was about 12%. This year, it's almost 20%. So, yeah, he's crushing more balls, but he's also hitting a lot more weak balls. Nobody notices or cares because if you're hitting home runs, it doesn't really matter. As you said, if you hit a ball that's 40 miles an hour or hitting a ball that's 80 miles an hour, if it really is like a binary discussion at this point. You're hitting it harder, you're not. And if you're not, who cares? Almost. Exactly. And the thing that Gregorius said probably is, was, is most interesting is that you know, if you look at his home run spray chart for his career, literally like it is entirely clustered in the area. Granted, he hasn't played his whole career in Yankee Stadium, but like it's basically literally clustered in what is considered like the short porch area at Yankee Stadium, you know, where it's like 360 feet to, to straightaway right field. So he hits a lot of these like classic Yankee Stadium home runs that don't look all that impressive. He literally has never hit an opposite field home run in his career and like barely anything to like the center field side of right center field. But last year, he actually was much better away from home. Much better. Than he was at home. And even last year, the narrative around him was, well, he's just hitting these cheap Yankee Stadium home runs. That's why he's having a good year. But that wasn't even the case. He was actually, he did weight on base of 371 on the road and 298, which is well below average at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, it's real weird. Whenever we talk about like, Coors Field, people always give me a hard time. Well, you never talk about Yankee Stadium being a hitter's park. And it is. 10 of his 11 home runs this year have been hit at home. And as you said, they've all been hit over the short porch in right center field. This year, slugging 806 at home and 446 on the road. But as you said, last year, he was actually a below average hitter at Yankee Stadium. Last year, he hit 251 a 281 on base, a 426 slugging, that is a 298 Woba at home. Last year, he slugged 528 on the road. I don't have a good explanation for that. I just think it's interesting that it's not like a very consistent every single year is better at home. The year before, more or less even, slightly better at home. So it's been wildly up and down, which is weird. But this year, he is much better at home thus far. 508 at home, 312 on the road. And it is notable that his pull percentage is way up. The last three years, it was right around 35%. This year, it's almost 50%. So it does seem, whether it's concerted or not, I'd sort of assume it is. Um, he's actually putting it more into the area of Yankee Stadium where he is much more likely to get a home run. I, I have to think that there's some strategy here. yet Because you, you look at his plate discipline stats, so many things have changed. Uh, his swing rate is down. Uh, last year, it was 58%. The year before, 55%. This year, it's down to 50%. So he's just not swinging as much. More importantly... He's not swinging at garbage as much. His chase rate, swing rate uh, on balls outside the strike zone, the last two years it was 38%. This year it's 31%. So swing less, swing at fewer balls outside the zone. That's a good start. Uh, as you said, his pull rate is up enormously. 35% the last two years, 48% this year. And, of course, ground ball rate has dropped. It was uh, in the 42% uh, the previous two years, 36% last year, 40, 34% this year. So fewer ground balls, swinging at fewer bad pitches, putting them in the air to his pull side. That's a good recipe. It's actually pretty similar to what Curtis Granderson did when he came to the Yankees, but Curtis Granderson did it almost immediately when he got to the Yankees. 
He suddenly was like, hey, I'm just going to hit fly balls to right field. And he hit 40 home runs a couple of times. Gregorius, he's been in the Yankees for what, like? Four years, four, I think, now? He came, actually, I looked this up today because he was part of two three-team trades. Oh, uh, wait, this, the Sinshu Chu trade was one of them? Yeah, the, the right? first trade is a fascinating trade. That was, was Trevor Bauer, I think, was in that deal? Gregorius went from Cincinnati to, to Arizona. Arizona. Trevor Bauer went from Cleveland to Arizona. Uh, no, Arizona to Cleveland. Arizona to Cleveland. Um, Robbie Way- Ray. Oh, right. Robbie Ray. <laughs> Jesus. Went from Detroit to. I'm not no, yeah. He went, he went to Detroit. Yeah. I think you're confusing yourself. I'm here. confusing two different trades. Yes. <laughs> confusing Gregorius' two different three way trades. Just the first one was Chew from Cincinnati to Cleveland, Gregorius from. Cincinnati to Arizona. And Bauer from. Yeah. And then uh, there's a separate. Anyway, he's been in two very interesting uh, three team trades. Yes. So he's not hitting harder. He's hitting smarter. I respect that. Did you notice James Paxton threw a no-hitter last night? The best part is that he threw a no-hitter, and it was probably his second best start in the last five days. Well, that's a very interesting concept. Let's talk about that for a second. James Paxton no-hit the Toronto Blue Jays last night. And I think it's worth noting, we haven't really talked about the Blue Jays much. Their offense has been really, really good. Like, I picked the Blue Jays to be my second wild card, and I expected it to be on the strength of good starting pitching and an only okay offense. And it's been the exact opposite of that, which is weird, but that's a Blue Jays topic. James Paxton last night, nine no-hit innings, seven strikeouts, three walks. To me, easily, the most fascinating part of this start was that his velocity ticked up as it went on. And it, I, I tweeted out a really interesting chart about this. The first couple innings, he's like 94 miles an hour. Uh, and then, you know, the fourth through the sixth, he's like 95 miles an hour. Seventh and eighth, 96 miles an hour. And then in the ninth inning, he averaged 97 and a half miles an hour. It was his fastest inning of the night. Uh, he threw his three fastest pitches to end the game. He officially topped out at 99.5 miles an hour on a pitch in the ninth inning. That was faster than any pitch he'd thrown all of last year. And it was to finish off his no-hitter. Only five pitchers, only five starting pitchers in the last five years have hit 99 miles an hour in the ninth inning of a game they started. Uh, five and now six because James Paxton previously. It was no Syndergaard, Jordano Ventura, Garrett Cole, Luis Severino, Carlos Martinez. He, I mean, we've talked about him before. Like He's always been a guy where it's like, you know the talent is there. Can he stay healthy for 10 minutes in a row? And so far, so good, because uh, he's like a top five starter in baseball to me when he's healthy. Yeah, uh, there's no question. And, you know, this came after Friday night, uh, or maybe not, it was Thursday, whatever his last was, start. Six days previous. Six days previous, sorry. Uh, struck out 16. Um, in a loss. In a loss. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, uh, he's, he showed a flash of this last couple of years. He's had trouble staying healthy. He's had various arm elements. Um, he's a lot older than you think he is because he's, because he's had so many arm injuries. He was a late bloomer to begin with. I think he was a senior sign out of the University of Kentucky. He's 29. He's, I think he's, like two, he's two years younger than Felix. Am I, am I remembering this correctly? You'd probably remember this better than I would, where the Blue Jays had drafted him and he didn't sign, and then he lost his eligibility because like, he talked to the team or something like that, right? And he had yeah, to, yeah and they right. Basically, and exactly. That's why he had to go back to college and was a, he signed as, as a senior. So he's, he's not as young as a lot of people might think he is just because he's only becoming a household name in the last like two years. Um, but, you know, we've seen guys, you know, Corey Kluber did it. Corey Kluber didn't, didn't become a household name until his late 20s, so it's not unheard of. So he's awesome. Let's talk about the nature of a no-hitter for a second. So he was really good last night. He got saved by uh, Corey, uh, excuse me, Kyle Seeger, had a couple of nice defensive plays at third base. I think D. Gordon had a pretty nice running catch in the outfield. What I found interesting was we think of James Paxton as this dominating, flamethrowing guy, and he was at the end, but he only had seven strikeouts. The previous start, 16, twice he'd had 10. And if you look at uh, each of his starts this year and you look at it by, you know, weighted on base, 
and expected weighted on base. Well, obviously yesterday was the best in terms of weighted on base, a .072. No hits, a couple of walks, that'll happen. You look at expected weighted on base, and that includes strikeouts and walks, quality of contact. He had a couple of starts that were actually better than this. This is like his fifth best start of the year. Now, as you said last week, 16 strikeouts and one walk and five hits. I mean, that is, that's more dominant to me. Like we look at this no hitter as a really great outing because he didn't give up any home runs or crush baseballs. But if one of those balls gets past Kyle Seager, we're not thinking about this the same way. And it doesn't really change anything about the way he pitched. No, what was interesting about it though, is that it was a, um, it was a, it was a Maddox. It was a Maddox. Yes, it was a Maddox. 99 pitches thrown, which you don't, you don't see uh, the complete game shutout uh, with fewer than hundred pitches very often, AKA, uh, Maddox, that that was one of them. You know his sixteen his sixteen uh, K outings interesting, and then we've had uh, another we had another eighteen strikeout. Uh, who didn't someone have eighteen strikeouts the other day? Oh, not not Paxton. Uh, uh, who was it? Was it Scherzer? Uh, Scherzer. Yeah. yeah. Um, is uh, Sam Miller wrote about this on ESPN dot com today? Basically, the idea that currently the single game strikeout re- record is like the most interesting record in baseball that like realistically could be broken this year. Like no one's I've... gonna hit. No one's hitting 74 home runs. You know, no one's winning 34 games. Like, but like that is actually one that is in reach. And like anytime Scherzer, Paxton, Cole, you know, takes them out, Kluber, like Sale, like that, based on the way the game is played right now. I, it's really interesting. I'd never thought about it that way because you're right. Some of those, like no one's going to hit five home runs in a game. I mean, yeah. probably. But. We, and we had Scherzer do 20 a couple years ago. So it's like something we've seen. We've seen like fairly fairly recently. But what's interesting about it is you you got to do it and somehow be efficient at the same time. Exactly. No one's going to let you go 180 pitches well, to do it. And that was the thing is like the other day Scherzer, you know, I got an alert saying, oh, he's got like you know 15 strikeouts through five, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. But he was already at like 100 pitches. <laughs> right. So it was like, okay, this isn't this isn't happening. But we saw, you know, you see Paxton last week strikes out 16 in seven innings. Last night, nine innings, 99 pitches, no hitter. So it's like. You, you sort of thread a needle there. You go the distance. Yeah, I, I got an alert last night that said Jeremy Hellickson was taking a perfect game against the Padres. And I was like, what a weird baseball world that we live in right now. He did, he did not get it. <laughs> no, but the Padres would have been no hit twice in five days. <laughs> also but, true. Anyway, interesting, interesting back to StatCast and Paxton. Um, one thing I found interesting about him, looking, up on, looking him up a little bit, he's also a high spin guy. He's kind of... Uh, in some ways, he's a, sort of a, a left-handed answer to Verlander, where he's not just high velocity, high spin. Among starting pitchers this year, minimum 500 pitches thrown. He's fourth highest in average uh, four-seam uh, spin rate. So that speaks to some of that deception. It also goes to show how he gets swings and misses in the zone. This year, he has 66 swings and misses on his four-seamer in the zone. That is first in baseball, eight more than Max Scherzer, and it is almost 30 more than any other left-handed pitcher in baseball. Sean Newcomb is 37. So J- James Paxton is basically as a lefty, there's kind of like no one else like him. There's no other lefty in the game right now with like just that kind of velocity and life on his fastball. And that's kind of what makes him unique. Do you want to see a professional level segue to our next topic here? Sure. James Paxton, as you said, is a uh, very hard fastball, very high spin rate. And I don't know if this is true last night, but in his previous start, the 16 strikeout start, Jeff Sullivan at Fangraphs noted that he finally started climbing the ladder throwing this fastball really high in the zone, high-spin fastballs, high-velocity high in the zone. Hitters had absolutely no chance against it. I'd be interested to see if that happened last night. Speaking of which, Sean Doolittle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Left-handers, fastballs, high, high in, in the zone. zone. If you think about the state of relief pitching uh, right now, the two names I think everybody talks about, and we've talked about them, are Josh Hader, who's been unreal, and Adam Adovino, who's also been unreal. You think about the last five years or so, you, you think about like Jansen and Chapman, 
and Kimbrell. I would like to make a case that Sean Doolittle is, if not the best reliever in baseball, uh, in the conversation, not just for this year, but for like the last six years. And I think, uh, I haven't looked at my Twitter since I tweeted out the article I wrote. I'm going to guess I have a lot of people saying, but Hater, but Adovino, but, but Kimbrell. I mean, to me, if you're talking about the best reliever in baseball, Hater and Adovino don't have the track record. So to me, right. To me, it's more about, okay, well, who's, who has track record and dominance right now? Right. Which Doolittle has. Like, right, Kimberl, like uh, Jansen right now has track record. But right now, his performance right now For sure. is not what it was. You know, Chapman, he got up to 103 last night. Uh, so maybe he's, getting, he's finding that extra, that extra gear. He's, he's top five in a ranking I'm about to show you. Um, but uh, Doolittle has track, track record, and he actually has stayed healthy for the last couple of years for the first time in his career. And it's like... Okay. It, it, just very briefly, if you don't know the Sean Doolittle story, he was drafted as a hitter, uh, first baseman by the A's in 2007. My favorite stat about him is that he was teammates with current teammate Ryan Zimmerman at University of Virginia. And when Doolittle was a freshman and Zimmerman was a sophomore, I think, I'm not sure, he's a year or two behind him, he had more home runs right. than Ryan Zimmerman. He was a first-round pick. Yes. He was a very highly regarded hitting prospect. Uh, could never stay healthy. Never really got that far because he was always hurt. And never hit for power. And never hit first for baseman power. got hit for power. Uh, went to the mound in 2011, made his big league debut in 2012, has still dealt with a lot of injuries since then, but has pretty much been dominant from the day he, like, he's never had a bad stretch. He's had unhealthy stretches, but never unproductive stretches. Anyway, I'm going to uh, tell you a little bit about why I think Sean Doolittle uh, should be in this conversation for the best reliever in baseball. Our favorite stat, obviously, here, expected weighted on base. It includes quality of contact and also uh, amount of contact. If you were to look right now at the expected weighted on base leaderboards, I'm uh, using a minimum of 50 batters face, so that's like 336 guys. Sean Doolittle is atop of that leaderboard. Major League average is 333. He is at 171, ahead of Josh Hader and his 186. Uh, also ahead of Jose Alvarado, who nobody talks about, but has had a really good year. Chapman is number four. And Dan Winkler, who really has come back from a scary injury with the Braves, and he's been fantastic. Adovino was in the top three until last night, gave up a walk, and then a home run to Justin Upton. So now he's like, in the giant air quotes now, all the way down the seventh. Adovino has been unbelievable this year. Now that's just this year. I looked at it also uh, combining last year and this year. Adovino, uh, excuse me, Doolittle is also number one ahead of Pat Nishik, who people forget has been fantastic. Uh, Hader, Jansen, Chapman, Miller. I mean, these are the names you expect to be there. He's number one. But as you said, it's track record too, right? If I go back to 2016 to 2018, he is fifth behind Jansen, Miller, Chapman, Nishik. We go back to the entire StackCast era. He is again fifth behind Jansen, Miller, Zach Britton, and Chapman, and if you go all the way back to his debut in 2012, this is before StatCast, so it's not expected weighted on base, it's just actual weighted on base, seventh best. The guy has been a stud every single year, and he does one thing, he throws fastballs, and he throws them high, and I wonder if that makes him, uh, I don't know, boring isn't the right word, but he's been doing the same thing for six years, he's not like the new flavor of the month, like, not, that's unfair, Hater is fantastic, but he's not like the new guy on the scene. I, I think people overlook him because and of it, what's, Yeah, exactly, you said throws almost exclusively fastballs to give some context, this year... Um, he's second in fastball usage percentage among pitchers who've thrown at least 100 pitches. Jake McGee's first at 88.4%. Doolittle is second at 87.2%. If you go back through his entire career, going back to when he was the flavor of month with those A's teams when they were making when those, those playoff runs around 2012, 13, 14, um, he's the same thing. Basically, 87-89% fastball rate almost the entire time, every season. This is what he does. And in fact... Um, our own Matt Kelly did a story recently where we talked to Doolittle about it, and Doolittle basically said that like he's tried to combat quote unquote the launch angle revolution by continuing to elevate elevate more more in the zone, so people can't really uppercut his his pitches. Yeah, I think he also said that having been a hitter before, he felt gave him a little bit of an edge because he knew what would I not want to see. 
on the other side of the mound. So when I say, you know, Doolittle may be uh, the best reliever in baseball, usually the pushback is, well, Hader has struck out a lot more guys than he has. And that's true. Uh, that is very true. But the three things that really go into this are getting strikeouts, limiting walks, and limiting hard contact. So if you were to look at strikeout rate right now, it is true that Hader and Adovino and Chapman are the top three. And also, I wanted to talk about Richard Rodriguez today from the Pirates, who is number four. Uh, we just didn't have time to fit him in. Maybe next week, Richard Rodriguez is number four in strikeout rate right now. That's wild. Sean Doolittle is sixth, right? 44%, sixth best of almost 200. So is that it's not Hader, but it's elite. Right, I mean that is like 99th percentile. If you look at walks, he's got a five percent walk rate. That is one of the 12 best marks of 150 guys with 60 innings over the last two years. So that's also elite. But where he really stands out is you cannot square him up. And I remember last year we were talking about Kimbrel, who led the world in strikeout percentage, also had the highest exit velocity and like the second highest hard hit rate against him. If you managed to make contact, you could make good contact. Sean Doolittle, you cannot make good contact. He has right now the best or lowest hard hit rate in baseball of uh, 20. If you have at least 25 balls in play, he's allowed a 14.8% hard hit rate. That's only four hard hit balls uh, for some context on that. Chris Tillman allowed six hard hit balls in the first inning, his last time out. <laughs> um, Walker Bueller is second in that the average is 37%. He's below 15%. He also leads in 2017 and 2018. And part of that is because I think because also he's throwing these fastballs so high, nobody in baseball gets more pop-ups than he does. He's got a 22% pop-up rate. That's best in baseball. They're basically free strikeouts. The majors hit 0.022 on pop-ups, and the ones that fall aren't really hits. They're bloop. They're bloopers. That should have been errors. Those are basically free strikeouts. And so, does he get as many raw strikeouts? No. But when you combine weak contact and you combine pop-ups, those that all matters to me. It should. Yeah, and I mean, one of the maybe the sneakiest best trade of last summer was the Nats getting him and Ryan Matson. From the A's, I don't even remember what they gave up. But they it was they like, gave up uh, Blake Trinan, okay, Jesus Luzardo, who's like a reasonably well-regarded prospect, and another prospect whose name I can't remember. Oh yeah, I mean, it wasn't like they didn't get him for nothing, but like the Nats had a huge bullpen weakness, and they basically went out and got someone who's essentially as good as any reliever in baseball, but didn't pay the premium for it. And he also had two years of team control, right? I think he's a free agent after uh, next year. I, I think that's true. Yeah. yeah. So like, in the, the Nats have been. Red hot, you know, they're back They're back on their way up to first place. It's sort of everyone expected them to be. Waving at the Mets on yeah. their way up. <laughs> um, and um, he's a big reason why. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's talk about Matt Carpenter. Off to really just a dreadful start. But hitting what one... What is it really a dreadful start? Yes. <laughs> with a, with a, a caveat. He is hitting 152. That's bad. 305 on base. Not so great. 295 slugging. That is brutal. But expected weight on base tells a very different story. I'm going to read you his uh, ex-WOBA numbers for the last four years, starting in 2015. 386, 395, 383, and 391. From that point of view, it seems like he's kind of doing exactly the same thing. His hard hit rate is up. Last year, it was uh, just under 37%. This year, it's just under 40%. His barrel rate is almost doubled. Last year, it was 8% of plate appearances. This year, it's almost it's 15%. Now, it's fair to say he's striking out more. Last year, 20%. This year, 26%. So that's not great. Launch angle is down a little bit, but from 21 to 17, you know, he's not exactly Ian Desmond here putting the ball on the ground. Unsurprisingly, if you were to look at every hitter with 100 plate appearances, of which there are 204, he has the largest gap between his expected weighted on base and his actual weighted on base of 118 points. Second highest is Carlos Santana, who we talked about uh, on the show recently. So our own Joe Trezza, who is our Cardinals.com beat reporter, had uh, talked to him about this. And he, he said, what is the team telling you? Is it, are they telling you that you're, 
you know, really doing a poor job or, or are you just being unfortunate? And without saying it, Matt Carpenter ex- basically talked about expected weighted on base. And, and here's what his quote was. It was a conversation that started with Mo, John, John Mazeliak, and, and Michael Gersh, who those are the men in charge there, and the entire analytics team. It was me, uh, John Mabier, their hitting coach, Gersh, basically showing me the model they have based on how I hit the ball with launch angle and exit velocity, all the factors they have. A lot of it's over my head. They've projected what it should look like. And according to them, I was the most unlikely hitter in Major League Baseball. I assume they have a different model. The idea has to be almost yeah, cause, identical. Because Joe even said, like, followed up with, like, oh, so it was like expected weight on base. And he was like, oh, it's something different that we use. But it's the same, it's the same concept. Right. Exactly right. And I thought that was interesting. And I, I like the idea that, you know, you can use the numbers to go to a hitter, even if he doesn't fully understand the concepts, uh, to say, listen, you're doing fine. Keep going up. Don't, don't completely change your game. That said, I feel like, yes, he's, got, he's had some unfortunate luck. I also feel like there are real things to be concerned about here. Number one is he is getting shifted way more. And if you look at the percentage of plate appearances he's been shifted against, uh, you can see this now at our new Baseball Savant player pages and in a new leaderboard, which will come out later this week. 2015, he got shifted 5% of the time. The next year, 34% of the time. The next year, 61% of the time. This year, 82% of the time. That's a lot of shifts, and expected weight on a base does not account for that. It just accounts for the quality of contact, not where the fielders happen to be. So... I think some of that is real if he keeps hitting the ball into the shift, uh, but I'm also a little worried about some of the uh, the contact numbers. The last three years, his contact rate was 80 to 82%. This year, it's 72%. In the zone, well, 2016, he made contact with 89% of pitches. Last year, 86% of pitches. This year, 80% of pitches. As I said, he strikes out more. Um, that's concerning to me. Right? I mean, that's that's not just bad luck. I mean, that is that's a lot of swing and miss. Yeah, and he also. I mean, th- another thing about him is kind of like you know I talked about this before with Paxton. He's also a little older than you think. Um, he's another late bloomer, and he also has what's sort of considered old people, old old player <laughs> skills, right? Like they did the, the classic like his his number one skill is basically taking pitches and drawing walks and working the count. Um, he's 33 years old, and we've seen his sprint speed drop steadily the last three last few years. That's another thing that kind of plays into, you know, he was, he was at 27 feet per second, which is exactly the league, league average in 2015, then dropped to 26.7, 26.6, 26.3. So now he's comfortably a below average runner. So there you, you lose some infield singles, you lose some extra bases. So it's... I also just wonder what that says about not even just the speed, right? What does that say about your reaction time, your timing? I mean, as you said, he's 33 years old, or he's is in his age 33 season, and I don't think people think of him that way because it took him so long to kind of establish himself as a star. And you know, you look at the Cardinals' infield; like we love Jose Martinez. He's basically they're starting first baseman now, and they've got DeYoung and Jerko and Colton Wong. Uh, you know, Wong hasn't played that well this year, so there's room. But where does where does Carpenter fit into all this? Like, that's should he be a starter every day? I guess is what I'm saying. I mean, the the Cardinals have depth, so to their credit, they kind of can mix and, ma- mix and match a little bit. And Carpenter can play a couple different spots on the diamond, so at least they have that luxury where they don't feel like you know they have to shoehorn him. Like if he was first base only, they'd really be in a little bit of a pickle. But at least he can he can, he still plays in third. I don't really think he plays second base anymore. Um, yeah, third base a little. Bit. I, I guess my takeaway here is that it is. It is accurate to say that he's been a little bit unfortunate. He deserves better than he's seen. But I don't think he deserves, like, the full weight of that Exwoba ex- score. Like, I, I think the shift is going to eat him up. And I, yeah, I mean, it's going to even out, but it's still going to be a blow. The shift numbers are jarring. Yeah. You know, basically, like, when he first, when he was, before he was kind of a, a guy, 2015, you know, he's getting shifted less than 5% of the time. Like, imagine, take a good established hitter, right? Take, you know, who's, like, the most shift, like, take Joey Gallo. Yeah, Chris for the C. And they don't shift him. 
Like he probably gained forty points of batting average. I agree. <laughs> so that's I would that's a problem. I would say better things are ahead, and it's still simultaneously a problem. He's still in his, he's a declining player who's been unlucky. Don't expect two thousand fifteen Matt Carpenter to return, but still can be an average to an above average hitter this year. I agree with that. Have you noticed something very very weird about the Colorado Rockies? And I don't mean the fact that they've won six in a row and they're six games over and they're three and a half games out of first place. I think a lot of people expected them to be a playoff contender. They have the most home runs on the road in baseball this year. That's, that's crazy to me. And it's true. They have 33 home runs. Uh, the Red Sox have 28. And I've seen a lot of Colorado people using this fact to say, this is a great hitting team. They're crushing home runs outside of Coors Field. Uh, this proves that the Coors Field effect doesn't matter. I would like to drop an enormous mountain of cold water on that. Here's why. I mean, there's, there's a couple things to talk about. But number one, if we're just talking about home runs, they have 33 home runs on the road, the most in baseball. They have 13 home runs at home, the fourth fewest in baseball. That's a pretty interesting number. Because of the weather and because of just some weirdo scheduling, the Rockies have barely played at home this year. The Rockies have, at home, 480 team plate appearances. That is the fewest in baseball. 79 fewer than the Twins, who are at 29th place. 337 fewer home plate appearances than the Padres, who have the most. On the road, the Rockies have 852 road plate appearances here. It's almost 400 more than at home. That is 40 more than the Dodgers, who have the second most, and almost 300 more than the Padres, who have the least. This is not really about park effects to me. This is simply about they've had a ton more opportunities to hit home runs on the road, and they have. Yeah, I mean, so two two. Two things about that. One of which is, I agree with you. It, sh- it doesn't say much about their offense. It basically says they're hitting home runs because they're playing a lot. They've gotten a lot more opportunities on the on the road. There's still reason to be worried about their offense because it's not very good. However, traditionally, the Rockies play much better at home, and they have the biggest home field advantage in baseball. So, if you're looking at the Rockies as a whole, the fact that they're 21 and 15, despite the fact that they've played the majority of their schedule on the road, actually speaks well for their chances for the rest of the season. Uh, yes and no. I, I actually think it's more about how really, truly great their pitching has been. We'll get to the pitching in a second. Look at these raw numbers. So I'm just going to use weighted on base. This is not park adjusted. Um, yes, they've crushed all those home runs on the road, but their road hitting line is uh, 215, 293, 386. That is a 296 weighted on base. That is 23rd in baseball. At home, they have actually outslugged themselves on the road. 411 slugging at home, 386 slugging on the road. They still have a 326 weighted on base. That's the seventh best in baseball. Again, that's at Coors Field. If you take the entirety of it, just their overall season line, 229, 307, 395 slugging. That's a 306 weighted on base. That's 24th. Their expected weighted on base of 312 is ahead of only the Padres and the Marlins. This is, we've, I've been saying this for like two years now. Nobody listens to me. This is not a good offense. Charlie Blackman's a star. Nolan Arenado's a star. Lemayhu's playing pretty well. And then... Shrug emoji. For sure. <laughs> I, the, the offense, they, they, they should be looking to go acquire a bat. No question. My greater point is simply that I think they're pitching. Actually, they've built a pitching staff that is good no matter where it plays. Yes. In effect, they've sort of probably overperformed on the road. They're actually banking wins they probably shouldn't have. And that they're going to play a lot more home games from here on out. And that, to me, bodes well for their, their playoff chances. I agree with you on that. I'm gonna, before I talk about the pitching, I'm going to drop an interesting Ian Desmond nugget on you. And I will admit that he did homer twice off the Mets the other day. Both off of Syndergaard or just one? Just one off Syndergaard. Okay, but that's impressive. Yeah. So credit where it's due. Uh, the Rockies, it was his first uh, yes. pulled fly ball of the season. Per- first pulled fly ball of the season. That leads pretty well into this. I looked at nearly 7,000 player months with at least 100 plate appearances going back to 2008. Ian Desmond in April, 
just had a ground ball rate of 73%. That is the fourth highest of those nearly 7,000 player months. The other names on the list are Everth Cabrera, okay, Christian Yelich, uh, Ben Revere, and Derek Jeter. Late career, Derek Jeter. Uh, that's worrisome. If you look at the uh, their positions, they're 30th in first base, weighted on base, 22nd at catcher, 28th in left, 20th in right. Again, Blackman's a star, and he's got 10 of his 11 home runs on the road. Good for him. Arenado's great. LeMahieu's fine. I'm, you know, Carlos Gonzalez has not really rebounded. They should just play David Dahl every day. I don't know why they don't play David Dahl every day. Uh, Para is doing nothing. Gargo's doing nothing. Play David Dahl every day and get a first baseman, right? Yes. I will take the moment to give credit to a really good pitching staff. 313 pitching expected weighted on base. That is the seventh best in baseball. Jonathan Gray, I know he's got a 424 ERA. Don't worry about that. He looked really really good last night. Chad Bettis has been shockingly good. And of course, Adam Ottavino has been fantastic in front of Wade Davis. So I'm going to give them credit. I I underestimated the pitching staff and I accurately estimated the lineup. (laughs) I still don't think they're a playoff team. No, Um, I don't either. Because uh, I think, you know, likely, you know, at least one wild card will come out of the NL Central. Um, Yeah, if not still, I still still think the, the Cubs will be good when all said and done. Um, and the Cardinals are a very good team. And then, you know, I'd still take the uh, – actually, with the Dodgers, maybe. You know, with the Dodgers sort I'm of out. being out. I'm out in the Dodgers. Yeah, with, with the Dodgers being out of it, I guess you could if, – if if we assume – I guess let's say assume Cubs or Cardinals are wild card one in the NL. Uh-huh. Then that, wild card two is a group of Rockies. Cubs or Cardinals. Are you assuming the Brewers have taken the division? No, I'm – yeah, Cubs or Cardinals. No, I'm saying one of those two teams is wild card one. So wild so card who, two. Who wins the NL Central, in your opinion? I still think. Uh, I, I think the Cubs. I, I'll still. Uh, well, let's them. let's put it this way. Forget the Reds, right? All four of the other teams in the NL Central are playoff competitors, or at least right. So yeah. one of them will win the division. So you've got three wild card contenders there, right? Plus uh, any of the teams in the East, other than the Marlins, yeah. who don't. That that's and I feel I feel like the Dodgers are going to make it a race. Like I think they're kind of cooked, but they're not going to roll over. So there's a lot of teams in this mix. Yeah, I mean the Rockies are in that they're in that group, right? Um, but uh, unless they improve their offense, I don't see them emerging. Uh, I agree with you. Finally, Albert Pujols over the weekend became the 32nd member of the 3,000 hit club, and that is actually a really big deal. If you go back to 1901, there have been over 8,500 uh, position players, non-pitchers, who have come to bat. Only 0.38 percent—that's a third of one percent—got to 3,000 hits. That makes it a big deal. It also does absolutely nothing to change my opinion of Albert Pujols, who was one of the 10 best right-handed hitters who ever lived. Let's take a moment to be extreme buzzkills and say that I don't care about 3,000 hits. It's meaningless to me for the same reason batting average is. And Matt had a great idea to look and say, well, what's more interesting? What can we find that's better? And uh, I think the way you positioned it to me actually made a lot of sense. Like If it's going to be kind of a fun, arbitrary milestone, it's got to be a counting stat. Like it can't be a rate stat, even if you'd want it to be. Like you don't want something to be undone through poor performance later, uh, and it's got to be a round number. It, it can't be like, oh, you got to you know three thousand four hundred and eighty-two hits. Nobody cares about that. So, I went and uh, I looked through, and I I figured, well, total bases is cool, but it ignores walks, and walks are, are important. Barry Bonds had twenty-five hundred and fifty-eight walks. Uh, times on base is cool, but it ignores extra base hits. Almost half of Babe Ruth's hits were extra base hits. So basically what I did is I invented a, uh, a new metric 
Uh, I called it overall bases, but that's really just a shorthand. Total bases plus walks and hit by pitches and reached on errors. Really, I just was trying to come up with a quick and easy way to calculate a raw counting number of times on base and also the quality of those times on base. And I like I liked the fact that you included uh, reached on errors because for certain players, it's a skill. If you're fast and you, you, you get down the line quickly and fielders know you do get down the line, like there's something just in the same way that getting hit by pitches is a skill. People, Some guys are better at than others. Like getting reach, Reaching on error is... Yeah. A sign of someone who gets out of the box quickly. And, and it's not perfect. Like, sure, you know, you can have a left fielder dropping a fly ball. Like, fine, that'll happen. But Pete Rose did this 239 times. That is not an accident no. to me. Um, and what I did was I kind of uh, I set an arbitrary limit. Because if 3,000 is arbitrary, why can't I make my own arbitrary limit? I set it at 5,000. And uh, 5,000 overall basis. And the reason I did that is because 5,000 sounded nice. But also because I really liked that the math worked out. That it gave me 1% of hitters since 1901, which I thought was perfect. If you were in the 99th percentile of doing, uh, getting on base and doing it well, I feel like you should be recognized for that. So uh, that gave us like 90-something players. And what I really love about this is that the top five, the names on this list, are exactly who you'd want it to be. Barry Bonds, Hank Aaron, Babe Ruth, Stan Musial, and Willie Mays top the overall bases list. Two of those guys, Bonds and Ruth, did not get 3,000 hits. That was kind of the impetus of all this. Those guys and Ted Williams and Joe Morgan and Mickey Mantle did not reach 3,000 hits. That means it cannot be something that I look at as being like that important. I mean, you alluded to it before, but 3,000 hits is a sort of like a, a relic that goes back to the time of when batting average was valued as the best stat. Getting a base hit was like the thing. So that's where it kind of that's that's where it comes from, and it makes sense that that's like the extension of people valuing batting average was you valued base hits. Right. Like now that we sort of know better, it doesn't mean that 3,000 hits is meaningless. If you get to 3,000 hits, you were a good player. It's just sort of like it's not a – if you're looking for the optimal counting stat to value player worth, this is like we're looking for something that sort of combines home run hitters and, and guys who aren't power hitters but still good offensive players and you get here. Right, and again, this is not perfect. Like, you know, I, I understand completely that a home run is not actually four times as valuable as a single and that a double and a triple are closer in value than you might think. This is really supposed to be more of like a fun kind of thing than like a purely scientific thought out. A lot of people ask me why I didn't include stolen bases and uh, really just because I wanted to keep it to achievements at the plate. But I did like the idea of having Ricky Henderson being the best in baseball at something because that's awesome for him. So every member of the 3000 hit club makes our group except for Ichiro and Ichiro would have if he'd started his career in America almost certainly. Some of the names who do not have 3,000 hits who make it in now are pretty good. Like I said, Ruth, Bonds, Williams, Reggie Jackson, Chipper Jones, Mickey Mantle, Mike Schmidt, and Joe Morgan, who I had to explain to a number of people on Twitter, was actually one of the greatest players who ever lived. People seem to have forgotten that, I, I guess, based on his post-playing career. Uh, Joe Morgan was so good. He was so good. But he was, he was also, I mean, he, I mean the, obviously the irony of Joe Morgan for his entire career was that he bashed sabermetrics, basically like high OBP, High efficiency stolen base, like thinking when like that's what made him an all time. Right. Made him an all time. He didn't even appreciate what made him an all time great. It's and so that's I mean in his time, yeah, he won MVPs and he was he was considered a great player. But because he didn't hit any of the big numbers, like three thousand hits or five hundred home runs, you weren't really able to put him in a box. Exactly. Um, but he was as far as all around players go, he was you know an inner, inner circle Hall of Famer. I'm, I'm going to drop an interesting comparison. At least I thought it was interesting. Wade Boggs. And Daryl Evans uh, had somewhat overlapping careers in the 70s and 80s. They had almost identical numbers of plate appearances, 10,740 for Wade Boggs, 10,737 for Daryl Evans. Call it identical. Now, Wade Boggs had 3,010 hits, 
won five batting average titles, was a first ballot Hall of Famer, 92%. He is seen as a legend of the game. Darrell Evans had only 2,223 hits, 248 batting average, bounced off the ballot with 1.7% of the vote. I imagine some of you are actually trying to remember who Darrell Evans is and what teams he even played for, Giants, Braves, and Tigers. But Evans had 103, excuse me, 193 more walks, and he out-homered Boggs by a lot, 414 to 118. So in the almost identical number of plate appearances, their overall bases come out to Boggs, 56-30, Evans, 55-98, basically identical. It's amazing because of the batting average, just how wildly different these two guys were, were yeah, considered. This, actually, this reminds me of uh, the uh, Tony Gwynn, Tim Raines comp that actually went, this is what swayed me on thinking Tim Raines was Hall of Fame worthy, was when someone like, was pointed out to me like five years ago, uh, had reached base more times in his career than Tony. Tony Tim Raines reached base more times than Tony Gwynn. I'm going to assume that was Jonah Carey because it was probably Jonah Carey. Very likely. <laughs> but like, when you look at it that way, it's like, oh, wow. Then like, that's, that's crazy, particularly when you factor in, in that case where it was like Tony Gwynn was a single sitter. So it wasn't like he was like racking up a lot more extra base hits than Reigns. Reigns probably had more career home runs. And Reigns was certainly more valuable once he got on base. As oh, like no doubt. Literally the most efficient base dealer, the most efficient high volume base dealer in baseball history. So who is next to 5,000 total bases? There is actually only one potential answer. Uh, Miguel Cabrera, Adrian Belche have already done this. Uh, Robinson Cano through Sunday had 4,637 overall bases. He's, he's having a good year. If he stays healthy, he will probably get there uh, later this year. And then after that, I don't know, but I guess that's good. Like, if it's an exclusive club, you don't want too many guys getting there. The next guys on the list after Cano are like Adrian Gonzalez, who's 700 bases away, Chase Otley, Curtis Granderson, Victor Martinez. They're the only guys even to 4,000. I don't think any of them are going to... I mean, who knows? Maybe Chase Otley plays in at least 70, so maybe I'm wrong. I don't really see any of these guys getting there. Um, Mike Trout is obviously elite, but he's still, like, only halfway there. He's young. Marcakis. No. Nick Marcakis. 39-78 through Sunday. I would put Nick, Mar- Nick, Mar- Nick Marcakis is right behind Gonzalez, Utley, Granderson, Victor Martinez. I think his chances of getting there are much are better than any of those guys. I know you are on the Nick Marcakis bandwagon. So anyway, that is our. we're going to try to remember this for later in the year. I'm going to try to pay attention to Robinson Cano when he gets to 5,000 overall we should, basis. We should, we, should, we should talk to Corey about getting this on the... Uh, we <laughs> we should. Anyway, it's more fun than scientific, but it's so much better than 3,000 hits, I think. Anyway, let us know uh, how you feel about it. That is our show for this week. This is the MLB.com StatCast Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.